May Nestor is beginning here at the college as we enter the last month of spring and beets are coming in from our fields in all colors, the golden, the candy stripe of Kyoja heirlooms, and of course the familiar oxblood red. And it's almost Mother's Day, so you could make a beet dish that I made to desperately woo my future mother-in-law many years ago on our first Mother's Day together. To go with a roast chicken stuffed with lemons, garlic, and fresh rosemary, I decided to make up a beet salad because I had been told that she loves beets, but no one else in the family would tolerate them. Friends, I made a crass play for her love. I roasted golden beets in foil until they were completely tender and then slipped them free of their skins and cubed them. I tossed the warm beets with soft goat's cheese so that it melted and coated them. And then I dressed them with balsamic vinegar and olive oil and seasoned them. It's been 17 springs since then, and she and I both remember those beets and that meal together with great happiness. So maybe try them if you seek to woo a beet lover in South Carolina in May. Greenleaf Farms locally has some gorgeous ones you could pick up this week. I'm Claire Houle, a writer and instructional designer at the Center for Teaching Excellence at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. This season, I'm following the roots and filaments of teaching practice at the college around the set of skills of learning to learn. What skills do you teach? How do you teach them? How could we connect our teaching for our students and each other? This is Instructional Ecology. Welcome back. Last time, we explored a habit of mind that can begin in the classroom and become a lifetime's practice. Today, let's consider a classroom condition that creates a state of mind for the student in class. Play. Once again, this topic is community-derived. Rather than come to this season with external theory, I built it from inside the college. It's made of what people are doing and talking about. And some of you are telling me about how letting students play in the classroom is when the light bulbs truly go on. Only through play does the learning get traction and students produce the work that shows they've understood and can use what they've taught. Play is the bridge that connects concept and outcome. In this messy middle space, students are rapidly trying and failing and succeeding and experimenting, and they're really into it while they do it. So let's talk about play. Apparently, the first move here, as in most of the papers I've looked at about play in higher education, is to excuse it. In our culture, apart from very specific contexts, adults should not be seen to play in public. So we've got to make it okay to talk about so we can make it okay to enact. We've got to make it okay and we've got to ennoble it. Setting aside dual enrollment, which is how high schoolers come to us, our student population is overwhelmingly over 18. They're adults. And a college class is a very adult and serious space, right? We work hard to delineate college learning spaces from high school learning spaces. Are we backpedaling if we introduce the concept of play? Well, let's work within our context. In early childhood education, much is made of play as learning and learning as play. 
research in the 20th century brought to light that play is how children encounter their world, learn about it, experiment with it, move to more sophisticated uses of tools, peer relationships, and environmental understanding. And anyone who has watched children play know that play can be very serious indeed. The concentration when children build things, when they explore new spaces, when they're deciding on rules with peers can be very clear in their serious expressions and focus. But play has a lot of fun to it. Play means that children are doing what they desire to do. They do the next obvious and intriguing thing that appeals to them in the internal logic of their play. This could mean they're trying for a success or they're trying to blow it up, see what happens when I do it wrong or weird. Their curiosity is fully engaged because they can follow where that curiosity leads. So let's put all of that in the context of our college. Can the classroom be a place of open exploration, focus, fun, freedom to choose? Can play continue to be learning into adulthood? Can we create a classroom environment where the complex intersection of freedom, focus, experimentation, peer relationships, and novelty happen? Can some fun get in there? My two guests today say, yes, and it won't work any other way for them. I got to thinking about this topic when I visited the Mechatronics Lab on our Northeast campus last year. This is the domain of Program Director Stan Frost in our School of Advanced Manufacturing and Skilled Trades. In a vast hangar, I was studying giant mysterious training machines when Stan positively leapt down the stairs to greet me, eager to show me these trainers and explain the world of mechatronics to me. Quick aside for those of us not in this particular community, mechatronics is a disciplinary field in the advanced automated manufacturing industry. Michigan Tech nicely defines it as being the intersection of mechanics, electronics, and computing. It involves robotics, control systems, and electromechanical systems. Our first guest today, Stan finds that while the classroom is important to teach the principles of mechatronics, the whys and wherefores, it's when the students get into the lab and get their hands on the machines that those lessons finally make sense. As you'll hear him describe it, the light bulbs go on. Stan, alight with the joy of teaching, told me they just have to play with everything before they really understand and get good at it. And my second guest literally teaches play. Eileen Fins is our theater professor. She makes a serious study out of plays. Her students have to move in and out of play, both literally and metaphorically. And in her teaching philosophy, she says that she strives to make her classes a brave playground, an incredibly fertile concept that we'll unpack. Stan has his labs and training machines. Eileen has our new black box performance classroom on the Beltline campus. Both of these very specific spaces make certain kinds of learning possible. I like thinking of the connections between the contrast of these spaces Another fascinating detail of the world of MTC. Under the guidance of Stan and Eileen, these courses have fun and exploration embedded in them. Both professors strive to create learning spaces that create a playful learning openness that both find essential to student success because students have to be willing to enter that state of mind 
You can't just order people to play and have fun. You have to invite them. You have to create the atmosphere and community that invite play into learning so that learning comes through play. Both professors are experts with long distinguished careers. And as you'll hear, they sacrifice nothing of their reputations, of their learning goals and outcomes to bring play into higher education. It takes great skill and planning to create the ephemeral state of mind of play. Perhaps this is the most delicate of the parts of learning to learn we've talked about. The boundaries between play and not play can be nearly invisible. Do you notice the moment when you cross over the boundary between seriousness and into fun? It could be stark. Suddenly, the gate is opened and students are free to move about and are unleashed into the play of learning. Or it could be a subtle passage from the concentration of listening to the concentration of hands-on doing. Students only gradually realize that their activity isn't a traditional, graded, high-stakes attempt, but instead they become engrossed in exploration, experimentation, practice. To play is to re-engage again and again as attempts work or don't work, as others come in or exit. Play is following the logical desires of the next moment, following the path of intrigue and internal and external cues of success and setback. So this kind of classroom must make space for desire and intrigue to guide student learning. What an intriguing lens to use when talking about building classroom community and atmosphere. What do we mean that play is a state of mind that can be a crucial part of learning to learn at the college? Let's find out in the crisp computer labs and the freshly swept high ceiling training labs of our Northeast Campus Mechatronics Department. My name is Stan Frost. I'm the program coordinator for mechatronics at Midlands Tech. I came to Midlands Tech in July 1st of 2019 after working for a company called Robert Bosch for 30 years. I moved from the upstate down to Columbia after meeting a beautiful woman and um, started my teaching career after um, semi-retiring from Bosch. You begin in the traditional classroom, but then you move into the machine training labs. How is that progression important in your courses? So like in the classroom, obviously, we're laying a foundation. We're talking theoretical. Everything's theoretical in the classroom because it's all just we're talking. Of course, you can show videos and things and, and that kind of uh, relate to the information you're talking about, but it is theory. And um, so you're kind of relying, if you just were to do um, lecture, you're relying on the fact that these students can actually conceptualize what you're saying. So in this type of work, you can't just rely on that. You cannot just rely on that. Oh, yeah, they just got it because we were talking about it. And so when I took over this program or when I agreed to take over this program, I told uh, our leaders, I said, we have got to have trainers. They've got to have things they can put their hands on and they have to be real world type trainers, which means the right components, not not play components, not Legos and stuff like that. They need to be putting their hands on the right stuff. So you talk about the theory part in class, and then I love the way it's structured here at Midlands Tech. We lecture, take a 10-minute break, and then we go do the lab. So, you know, we're not, they're not doing a lab with a different teacher, and they're not doing a lab on a different day, and hopefully they can recall 
what was taught or talked about, you know, in the previous lecture. So we go out there and now we get to do exercises that are um, specifically designed to support this theory that we just talked about. So we get out there and I call it, we'll go ahead and play. We're going to play and we're going to get to see how this stuff works in the real world. We talked about pressure. Let's go see how pressure works. Let's go see how the pressure gauge works. And let's see if we can set the circuit up correctly to make it do what we talked about, right? So in that environment, and, and we talked about this, Claire, this is school, right? This isn't the workplace. This We're not under the pressures of supervisors. No, we got to get this thing running. And, you know, every minute we're down, we're losing X amount of money and, and all that. So we're not under that kind of pressure and scrutiny, right? So we can go out here and play and do this stuff. And if they mess up, that's that's just a teaching moment for me. And so they're sitting there doing it and, it, and you can see the light bulb come on. And they're saying, oh, yes. Okay, now I see what you're talking about. You just see it out there. The ones that got it, they go through the lab, they get it, they're doing it great, everything's going great. The ones that didn't quite get the conceptualization, they make they make a little mistake, and we we fix it. We just say, okay, oh, this isn't this isn't right. Here's how how to do it. Now I will say this, and I don't know if this is good or bad. I, I tell my students all the time: if you are very attentive during lab time. And you do what you're supposed to do, and you ask me questions when you're not doing something right, you're going to make a good grade because we're going to sit here and do it until you get it right. Out here's a time to learn. This is learning time. This isn't time where I'm trying to scrutinize you or change your grade or anything. In the end, when we do a lab practical and we do a test, right, I'm not helping you then. So hopefully, we've done all this good theory, all this good playing. You put the two together and you really understand what's going on. And if you do, you should make a good grade on your test or your practical, you know? And so that's, that's the way we, that's the way we do this. That's the way I set up our environment. Yeah. And you've also removed the stake of grades. We're not grading this. We're not assessing how you're doing. That's not the point. You're assessing what you're doing. You, they become the assessors, right? They're the ones that decide, oh, because I did these things and, you know, I, I didn't get the result that I wanted. I'm going to do a different thing and see what happens. So tell, me, and so tell me a little bit about that. I mean, like when you remove stakes, what becomes possible in learning? Yeah. So um, there's no fear. You know, it takes away the fear of the student. So in, if I've created a good environment, go back to what we just said earlier about a student not coming to me or telling me they did something wrong. They're not scared to say I did it wrong. Right? They're not. They're not saying, "Oh, he's he's going to come over here and give me this big X or whatever." They just know that you're going to come over there and say, "Okay, let's let's talk about it. Let's do it right." So here's the reality: you can't be like you're teaching 16 students. You can't be right on top of every one of them every second. So you have to rely on them to come to ask you if they're having trouble. The ones that are not having trouble, they're trudging right along. But the ones that are. I don't want them to have a fear of saying, Mr. Frost, uh, I need your help. This, I am not understanding this. And they don't. For the most part, they never do. They're like, oh, come show me this. Come show me that. So you create that environment where there, there is no fear and there is no like, fear of repercussion in any type of way or whatever. And so then they do learn. And, then if, and they're not scared to make a mistake. And you can't be scared to make mistakes because you, we're going to make mistakes. And you can you can listen to you know um, 
videos of all these smart people, and they'll tell you how many mistakes they made and how many things they failed at before they finally, you know, got it. You can't be afraid to fail. We learn from failure, too. Well, I know that you often think about, um, uh, as, as many good instructors do, you often put yourself back in the shoes of people that are just learning it and you recall your own experience. And I know that when you were first getting into this, you had some on-the-job training by some fellows, and you, but they weren't always so helpful. And even their lack of helpfulness told you something. Tell me a little bit about Ray and a little bit about Wayne and, and yeah. what you learned about yeah. how they taught you. Yeah, so we had, to, when we, when at Bosch, when you finish a program, a apprenticeship program, which I went through a three-year apprenticeship program, they want you to shadow a senior tech, right? So they, they want you to be out there with them. They're not just going to put you out on the floor all by yourself, you know, oh, he just got through a school and he can just do all this by himself. They know better. So they, they let you shadow someone. So I, they put me with a fellow named Ray, and I was shadowing Ray, and I would come in every morning and um, you know, get ready to do my thing. And Ray would be, you know, doing his thing and I'll be following Ray around and he would never tell me anything. He would never, you know, give me any information. Uh, I, I would just want, I would just try to observe what he was doing, you know, and I have, I, I, I'd already worked at Bosch for a while. So as an operator, so I understand how things ran and all. So I was trying to, um, you know, do my own conceptualization and, you know, figuring out what he was doing, but he just would not offer any information whatsoever. And um, and and that's the whole point of shadowing is for these guys to like, you know, show you what's going on, tell you, and and all that. And I'm, I'm so after a few days, I said, Ray, I said, I'm, I'm at, I said, uh, brother, you're not showing me anything. Um, I really need to learn this stuff because I'm gonna be put out here by myself, you know, in in a little while. And basically, Ray's answer was, um, you know, you can watch what I'm doing. You can figure it out. And I'm like, mm, I, 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 that's not going to help me. So I went to my supervisor and I told him and I said, you know, I am not going to be able to learn this way. And I said, you know, Ray just does not want to give up any, any information. And I, and I honestly, this is just the um, the feeling I got was Ray didn't want anybody to know what Ray knew. Ray wanted to be the person who knew it all and, and you know, didn't want to. I think a fear of being replaced or whatever, you know, or, you know, whatever. So whatever his reasons were, it just didn't work for me. And so I asked my supervisor to put me with another one, another uh, tech that I could shadow. And he put me with Wade. Wade um, was great at telling me things. Wade was like, you know, I, you do this and that. But Wade, when he was telling me things or when he was doing something and he was telling me about it, he never let me do it or never let me put my hands on it. And so after a week or so, or about a week of that, I said, Wade, I said, can we, can you start letting me do some of this stuff? Let me work on it. And and um, I said, because we, a couple of these things that we've done, we were revisiting them. So you've told me about them before. I said, I want to put my hands on it. I said, because when I put my hands on it, I, that's when I really learn it. And that's when I'm really making whatever adjustment needs to be made or whatever and seeing how what I did affects the outcome, right? And I said, and if I do something wrong, just tell them I did it wrong, right? I said, I will remember way more about the process of doing something if I'm doing it than just, just if somebody's telling me. Now, Wade was awesome. Wade was like, 
I am so sorry, Stan. You know, I I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, I just get caught up into, you know, trying to make the line run, keeping it running, and all that. I just wasn't really thinking about that. And so from there on out, he did that. And that was a big help for me. Because because a couple of things. One, it helped me learn, because that's the way I learned, putting my hands on it, doing it. I see you recalling that and building your own program here at MTC, because of course you're going to have classroom time because you've got to lay the foundations, but then you get to the trainers. Tell me a little bit about how you see students learning in the classroom and then what happens when you get to the trainers. And so, yeah, the playing part, it is playing. And I'll tell you this, Claire, when I first started this program, we didn't have equipment for all the classes. And I remember when we got a, a, a set of trainers in, and so these particular group of students, they go through cohorts, so they're together throughout the semester. We're out there working equipment, and they're going, God, we love this. Because they, they, they do, they love, because this particular type of student anyway is the kind of student that wants to be working with their hands and doing things with their hands. So they, so for this particular class, we're out here working on things, and instead of, if you're just doing lecture, you don't really have trainers to do and all that, and you're trying to fill time. Out here, I'm trying to tell them, hey, guys, you only got five more minutes. We've got to hurry up. We've got to start cleaning up because they get engrossed in it. They're sitting here doing this stuff, and it's cool to them. And, you know, and they're seeing what we talked about in reality, and it come to fruition, you know. And so the lab time is they love it. They would rather, if it was up to them, they'd spend 10 minutes in lecturing and then the rest of the time in lab because I can teach out there as well, right? I can sit there and talk about this and that and everything. And if somebody does mess up, Claire, I'll bring the whole group over there. And so you remember what we were talking about, you know, in class? And I said this, this, this. Here's what I was talking about. So I can, so, I, and I'll do, I, you know, you don't just single out anybody, but you're just letting them know, hey, I'm just trying to teach you all of it, right? Even though you weren't the one that messed up, come over here. I want to show you this, right? It's, we're all in this together. And I want y'all all to learn this together and, and really understand what it is means you know so i think it just creates an atmosphere that's conducive to learning and asking questions you know because we always have that old you know the worst question ever asked is the one that wasn't asked when people are playing that is when learning becomes fun and it becomes fun yeah yeah talk a little bit about fun in in either in learning and in the profession what is it so how is that great yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you how the they, two words and how they relate. So fun is you know, is a different definition for different people. But in these type of people, fun is um, making something work, seeing it work, knowing that you had to do all this to make it work, you know. And so that gives you a sense of gratification. And people that like to work with their hands, that's fun for them. They enjoy it. You know, they enjoy doing it. And so, yeah. And so when they're out there and they and they've got this clear sense of direction about, okay, I got to do this, 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 that, this, that. And when I do all this, this should happen. And so when they do all that and it does happen, it gives them a sense of gratification. Look what I accomplished, right? Look what I accomplished. And so whether they know they're having fun or not, right? They whether they know that they are, they're enjoying it and they're learning as they're enjoying doing these things, right? And so let's go back out to the workplace. You, you got to let it, you can't, you know, it's hard to not let it be fun sometimes, but there has to be some sense of enjoyment, some sense of gratification in what I do, right? You know, we know the old adage, if you love what you do, you're not really working, right? 
So, and that that's true to a point. I mean, it's true to a point when we still have things we got to do, timelines we got to meet, and all that. But if I love what I do, I enjoy what I do. I enjoy it, and I get the gratification out of doing it. You know, and it looks good. But when people are doing things that they enjoy doing, then it then it affects absenteeism, morale, and all kinds of things, right, it, within the company. So, so one thing is make sure people are where they need to be, where they are enjoying what they're doing. Everything. Because I, I've told, I told Bosch this one time, if you got somebody in a position they're not really happy at and something little happens at the house, then they're more apt to say, well, I'm just not going in today. Right. But if they love what they do and they have a sense of pride in what they do and they get an enjoyment out of what they do and they have a sense of um, I'm a part of this, this is a part of me, then they might not stay out they'll say no i need to go in i've got a job to do you know this is important this is my role and i enjoy doing it i want to really contrast everything that you have built up this very rich holistic picture of how we can open up worlds for students allow them to find themselves in it to find their own path with good guidance um, I want to return to one of your earlier experiences in education that was the opposite of that. Oh, yeah. When you were quite a young man, I know, you had gotten really interested and excited in child psychology. Yep. And like many young people, you wanted to study this and get into it. Maybe this was a career you didn't know. And you ran afoul of a professor who perhaps did not have the same kind of philosophy that you had developed. I would love for you to talk a little bit about that experience. What happened with that professor and how did their behavior end up teaching you something about right. how not to teach? So, yeah, so I was, I, I, that's really what I thought I wanted to do. You know, um, I like, I liked children, um, you know, and um, my little cousins and, you know, things like that. I just enjoy children and, and the church that I went to, we had a huge, a younger population and stuff. And so that was just, I just really thought that would be cool. And then I wanted to be a person who could help kids that needed help. I mean, think about child psychology, right? It's child psychology because these kids have, have either gone through some traumatic what you know, experience or, or whatever, or it could be they were born with disabilities. And so there's a psych psychological, psychological effect to that, you know? So it just, it, I just was really intrigued by all that. And I said, you know, that's what I want to do. So, so when I was going to school, I had this one professor, you know, and he was just all he, now this is my opinion, but it seemed like to me that all he cared about was that you knew what he knew, right? He just wanted to get up there and just blah, 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 and say all this stuff and everything. Didn't want anybody to ask questions or stop him. You know, during his, you know, while he's trying to talk and stuff. And then if you tried to ask questions after the fact, he would give you these like big, like just very wordy type answers that didn't really, you know, help me. I'm not, I'm not a doctor in psychology, you know. So he just, he, he, he wasn't bringing it down to my level, you know, and he, he, he didn't want to, he didn't even strive to, right? And, um, and he just like it. If you ask questions, he made it seem like an inconvenience and stuff, you know, that you were even asking. Just listen to what I'm saying and then go out there and figure it out. Right. And so, so Claire, going back to what you were saying, how that affected me, I'm like, well, of course, I got out of that 
field. I was like, I'm, if this is the kind of people I'm going to be dealing with, I don't care to even have a do do this, you know. So I just don't want to do it. And so I got out of that and trans, uh, changed my major. But um, but here's what it taught me, and this is what it goes back to now. I tell my students, uh, my first year students, first semester students, uh, during the first day of class, um, when we're basically doing an orientation, I tell them, I say, guys, I am not here to tout myself. I'm not here to just let all y'all know what I know and, and try to make myself look good. I am here for you to learn. My goal is for you to learn. If you haven't learned something, I haven't done my job. I haven't done my job. So my goal is for you to learn. And that means asking questions. That means going over things. That means whatever that means is for you to learn. Now I said, now I do, I know a lot of things. I know a lot of things. I said, but it because it's experience. I said, I'm not any smarter than any of you guys. I've just got experience. I've been around and I've been doing this stuff. And I've failed and learned from those failures and I've done good and I've learned from those. And so hopefully I'm going to be able to share these experiences with you to help you learn. Well, now that you've you've just had a big career transition, you've moved out of being a technician full-time and you've parlayed those skills into teaching those mm-hmm. skills full-time. So I'm wondering what um, what's keeping that teaching because it's it's clear to me that you have great zest for this um which is which is just a joy to to be around um tell me what's keeping you excited and engaged about being an instructor like what's what's really what keeps you alive yeah here? well not everybody obviously not everybody understands all the details and all the things that go on with electricity and pneumatics and hydraulics and all that stuff so that's that's just cool stuff to me anyway but just the the excitement is when I see other people, my students, start getting it and start saying, "Okay," because I can bring in all these analogies and I, and I, you know, I'm, I've been around a while in my own life, so I can bring in analogies from the house that they can relate to and things, right? And I and so they, it's just like I just love to see that light come on. I love them to see them make the connection, right? The why. So that just um, Claire, back to the big thing is why. Why do we do it this way? Why, why, why? And I've always told people, if you teach people why, then they're going to retain that knowledge more. Because then they know why. They're not just, you're not just telling them, I'm telling you this and you just remember it because I told you so. Right? They know why. And I just think the body, the mind, the brain, when it knows why and it understands why, that brain has the capacity to store that information and the ability for you to bring that information back up when you need it. Because you know why. Why am I doing this? And so why I'm doing it actually brings you back to the steps of what you need to do. Right? It just does that, the way our mind works. But I just enjoy teaching. And I see our students as customers, right? We're trying to give them this information. They're paying to get a degree and everything, so they're our customer. But also our employers are our customers, right? We're creating a product for them. And I want to create a good product that goes out there and that can help these companies uh, be sustainable and do their jobs and stay in existence, which what does what, which helps our communities and helps us overall be a striving, sustainable community. Right? So it, I just get a satisfaction out of that, Claire. Just I like teaching. I like seeing people learn things. And I like seeing people be able to help themselves, right? Not rely on somebody else to do something for them all the time. 
I just like seeing people be successful, right? That you don't, there's some people don't want to see anybody be successful. They just want the one to be at the top themselves. But then there's other people that like to see people be successful and they like to celebrate that success with them, right? And that's just who I am. I think that all of us who love to teach get that. It's like nothing else. When you see a student, you say when the light bulb goes on and especially if they struggled, you know, it's, 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 there's, it's a, that's a joy and satisfaction like no other. So Claire, I just had a very interesting thing happen just a couple of days ago. So it's been okay. since our last conversation. Oh, I'm ready. I had one of my former students. I was teaching a class. He just walks in the class. He says, Mr. Foss, can I talk to you for a second? And, and I said, yeah. And he wanted to talk to me in the whole class. And he said, I just want to tell you that I got a job. He said, I got a job at Schneider Electric. And I'm just, you know, just wanted to tell you I got the job. And he said, the person that hired me wants to talk to you because they want to create a, a relationship with you to, you know, about trying to get more of these technicians from the mechatronics program. And then he told all the students out there, he said, I just want you all to know this is one of the best teachers there ever is. And blah, blah, blah. And he started doing all this stuff. And it makes you proud, see? So now I've had this proud moment. I had a student come back to this school just to tell me he got a job. And then he, and, and then the, while he was doing it, he's telling my classroom, and he's kind of just relaying how much he enjoyed the class or the, the program or whatever. So it was cool. That was a cool little, little event right there. Well, I love it that the student not only wanted to tell you, your his teacher, it worked. Yeah. You, you taught me, I learned, and I, I met my first goal, which was to get this job. But he also wanted the other students that were still learning to know mm-hmm. you can do it. Yeah, it's there. And moreover, if you can complete this program and you're interested, there's a company that yeah. might be able yeah. to hire you, which and I know is 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 the goal. That's how yeah. thrilling. Let's thing to stand. I appreciate the fineness of the line between work and play so that play becomes learning. Stan said, I told our MTC leadership that the students couldn't learn from toys like Legos. They have to have real machine trainers to learn on. This is play in college classrooms. We have to have the real world tools in order to learn best, but we need to have time to play with them to experiment, to appreciate, just like children, what happens when we do things the wrong way. And you can hear that Stan learned to teach from a lot of teachers, both good and bad. The best teacher he mentioned was the one who let him try things, who let him do things for himself. And he embraces that principle in his teaching wholeheartedly. Stan loves to get out of the way of learning. And Stan has also left behind another kind of teaching that he received. He talks about how, as a young man, he felt called to become a child psychologist. But he had a college professor so repressive, so excluding and controlling, so closed off that young Stan left behind any ambitions that he had in that field. He said to me that he thought at the time, if this is how people are in the world of psychology, I don't want to be part of it. This is a heartbreaking example of poor teaching ending dreams of young students. We call this format of lecture-based teaching the sage on the stage. It allows for only one right opinion, one source of truth, the lecturing professor. 
No one else speaks. No one else asks. No answers are given. This is the opposite of play. This is the opposite of engagement. Lecture has great uses, but I think we can agree that Stan's college professor all those years ago was not using best practices. But Stan turned that lesson inside out, and his career and teaching have been a joyful and dynamic response to that disappointment. And now, let's get further into play as a part of learning to learn. From the Northeast campus, we travel to our Beltline campus and the brand new black box classroom being built. Here, play is a classroom atmosphere, a state of mind and a profession. Here, in an almost Shakespearean sense, the word play takes on many meanings. Let's watch the curtain rise on a theater class, hush and settle in for the 10 minutes traffic of our stage, another time with another gem in the MTC treasure house of professors. My name is Eileen Finns. I am a theater professor in the Department of Humanities in the School of English and Humanities. And I have been a full-time professor here since 2015. Your art is literally called a, a play. A play. We always a, a say that. it's not a torture. It's a play. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a play. Well, um, what does that, what does that tell you about this kind of art? You know, yeah. if it's called a play, what's it about? I mean, we start with this on day one, right? Why do we have art? Do we need art? It is in human nature to tell stories and to express our feelings, whether it's creative writing or music or visual art or dance or theater, filmmaking, whatever it is, you have something you have to say and express. And, and, Ooh, I might not get my philosophers right. You can look it up. But was it Longinus that said that it was a divine experience to, to watch something and have that feeling and experience and learn something about humanity? You know, it is it uh, imitation is natural and, and enlightenment and entertainment from that is divine. Right. I keep that in the forefront of my mind all the time. Because it's hard to make a pitch for theater sometimes. Like, I mean, I always say, you know, I got Netflix and a dog on my couch. Why do I need to leave the house? But students understand, especially those who have been to the theater, which isn't everyone. But this is live. And it's a shared experience. That human shared experience. We're all in the same room, hearing these words, experiencing this sound, this music, whatever. And it can be trans supporting, transformative. It, it, I mean, it can change your life. It can change your life. I can think of movies I've seen, of plays that I've seen, where you have this experience that you learn something about your, yourself, human nature, the world around you. It's a, it's a doorway into understanding other people and other cultures. It's a, it's a doorway to understanding yourself. You see yourself. Wow. That's like my family. Now I understand that more. It, ugh, I get all excited. <laughs> when Eileen said the word imitate just now, that made me think about the tradition that talks about art as an imitation of life, but that art then feeds back into life and becomes it. I asked Eileen about the circular life-giving flow between art and our daily lives. You imitate people or you're telling a story and you start acting it out, right? So it's not maybe impressionism and you're doing that kind of thing, 
but but wanting to communicate in an honest way, right? I, I have to put myself in that character's shoes if I'm acting and live truthfully within the circumstances of the playwright. And theater is a collaborative art form, right? So you have many different types of players here playing in this playground. I always tell them like the stage is a playground, right? Who's in the sandbox with us? You've got, you've got craftspeople who are making things engineers and and painters and people who sew and design and and build but somebody has to create that image that they're going to build right somebody it starts with the play it starts with the story the play is the thing thank you Shakespeare right and without the play there's nothing there's nothing in order to have theater you need an audience performers and a story to tell that's the basic right we've got to have that. And so we start exploring how all these things get done, right? And whenever I can, I want my students to feel it, right? To get up there and yeah, we're going to we're going to make funny noises and do acting exercises. And each chapter we go through in each section, it's interesting to read their responses in some I give them Dropbox uh videos and essays to do and we talk in class and they we do different things in class as opposed to their interaction with the textbook and the quizzes. But they're always like, not all, all of them, you know, some have some experience and they're like, oh yeah, I knew that, but I didn't know this. But so many are like, wow, I never thought of that at all. And now I see design everywhere. When I decorated my room, I'm doing the same th thought process a scene designer does. My objects in my bedroom say something about me, just like what's on the set says something about that character. You know, what a, char a, ca a character is wearing, it says a lot about them and their maybe psychological makeup. Sometimes the designer is very subtle. Oh, that whole family's in shades of yellow. I just noticed that, you know, taking a class like this kind of ruins you for the rest of your life because now you'll see everything. <laughs> you know, we try to we, we try to say, you know, it's that willing suspension of disbelief. You sit down and, and it just all washes over. Um and you get involved in the story. If it's really good, you get involved in the story. But if you start picking out things, once you're educated on, on the different aspects of theater, then you start, oh, now why did they do that? Well, that's not working for me or something. <laughs> but I don't know. They'll Hopefully it will enrich, not only enrich their theater and film going consumption, film consumption, television consumption, it's all of it. But just being observant to the world around you I think that's what theater does. It's a microcosm for life. I don't I don't tell them that right away because that's just too much, I think. But but they do start to see that theater is everywhere in sporting events, in church events, in restaurants and stores and everything. All those elements come together to have an impact on the audience, whatever your audience is. And so the, the I mean, I, I think that's always how I was taught and continue to think about it, is that the, the theater is the microcosm. It's the world, it's the globe, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what that you, so when I think about your classroom, your classroom is a microcosm, right? But you particularly call it a brave playground. I would love to yeah. hear about how it's a playground, which yeah. is sort of obvious to me. But how does bravery come? Sure, in? sure. Uh, you know, we use it's, it, it's talking about a brave space is new. We used to say safe space, and we don't say that anymore since 2020. 
really is sort of that advent of the Me Too movement and the BIPOC demands for theater and all of these things of, of waking up and going, you know, what's safe for me may not be safe for you. Uh, what does that mean? I can't assume what is safe, but a brave space, which is also very individual, where you feel brave enough to take a risk, whatever that looks like for you. For some students, raising your hand and asking a question is a risk. They are, some are just terrified to ask a question, whatever. But I start on day one with, yes, nuts and bolts information, and this is how we do things and how to navigate D2L, and these are my expectations, but also stand up let's breathe, let's shake it out. I'm trying to put in neuroscience in there all the time and, and, and how laughing and fake smiles can make you feel better and uh, getting to know each other. And, you know, we throw koosh balls around to, to get your body and breath in sync, but it also tells me a lot about people, um, how nervous they are or are not, how present they are or are not. I'm sure it doesn't work for, for everybody. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there have people who have come into my classroom and then gone, oh, too much. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And others who I know because they have told me I was terrified, but I decided to stick it out. Boy, am I glad I did. I feel so much more confident in my other classes. I can make presentations better. And it's not an acting class. You know, if you're coming into Theater 101 looking for an acting class, you're going to be disappointed because it's not. It's a survey of the theater, right? You're going to learn about all of it. So um, I try to have sort of fun. It's theater. I want them to leave not hating theater, maybe liking it and wanting to support it, support the art form going forward. You know, a lot of people just kind of go, it's not for me. I'm like, okay. But I bet they, they're watching film and television differently. For sure. And, and you're putting them, and then to return, I, I had not known about the word brave as a replacement for, for safe. Thank you. That was, that, that has given me so much food for thought um, and to look into. But I would love to hear about a, a, a play playground, a play <laughs> playground. Why is it a playground? How is it, how is your oh. class a playground? Well, I mean, I think of it in terms of the stage, right? So, I mean, actors in Shakespeare time were called players. It's a play. It's a playground. You, the stage is a playground, right? It's got, it's an open space for imagination. You've got people there pretending to be someone else. Um, of course, in scenery, you're going to have actual items there, but it's still that pretend. So a playground is a place of infinite imagination and fun. Yeah, that's that's how I think of it. Well, I'm thinking, too, about the word play. I think that many people have observed that theater is serious play, right? You know, it's 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 play, but it's also very it can be incredibly yes. intense and serious or meaningful, it doesn't have to, you know, but also play also implies fun. And I'm wondering how, when you think about, when you watch your students trying things, how are you seeing seriousness and fun and all these different things, bravery, how yeah. are all, what are you seeing? Uh, you know, it's a process too, because that's another thing they often say is like, I didn't realize how much work goes into it, right? Hours of rehearsal, years of pre-planning and research for pre-production like it does it just does 
happen, right? And so when I'm giving them those little um, experiences, even today, you know, one group, this guy was like, uh, they're doing so good. And I kind of, I'm awful over here. My actors are rebelling against me. And I'm like, well, first of all, no judgment. We throw judgment out the window. It's just about experiencing this and just give it a try. So I have to keep encouraging students that um, creativity is a process, that it takes time, that pearls do not come out of your mouth the first time. We say, this is, we say dare to suck. It's going to suck. It's going to be garbage. And you toss it out and you go to the next thing. And so it's just keeping that process going, but it's low stakes. It's not a, it's not a grade. Right. So you're up on your feet and you're doing something and you're throwing something out there. Oh, I never thought I could think that way. You know, that's what I see in some of these little things like, oh, that person. And then, of course, the kid who had the theater class in high school or was really into it, then they want to show off a little bit, whatever. It, it kind of intimidates some of the other. And I'm like, doesn't matter. I, I'm not looking at that. I'm not giving that energy. You know, it's it's just like we're all here, the same level sorting it out I, I was just curious about um it's serious work it's serious work play. but it, it but it's also fun and yeah. it's also like you said it's it's experimental yeah maybe tell me about how play and try are related trying and playing are yeah. really closely related you got to take that first step right you, that's that try you've got to do you have to have an you have to offer something give it a, give it some effort, give it a little try, bring something to the table so you can have some input. And it's okay if you have, you know, anxiety and you don't want to stand up there and say anything, then, then don't do contribute in another way. You know, we, when we try to, we try to do that and the grading is done that way. You're really good at this, do that, you know? So you have to try, you have to put forth some effort in order to receive the benefits of of playing great yeah there is no as Yoda would say there is no try only do or is it there I is do, do I only that try too. maybe it's the other way around yeah. as you're talking I'm aware that um you yourself has have learned all of this the hard way uh and also the fun way which is you're a teaching artist right um and I would love for you to describe what does it mean to be a teaching artist and how do you see yourself at this point in your career and sure. as, as a teaching artist yeah. So a teaching artist is a professional artist who also works as an educator. Um, artist educators. That's what we were called at first, artist ed educators. And it, it, you could be a writer or a poet. You could be a musician, a dancer, a painter, an actor. Um, and so most of my career was spent in as that, right? Working as a professional actor, director, and also working as a teaching artist for professional theaters, residencies in schools and things like that, and, and teaching in drama schools within theaters and things. Yeah. And it wasn't in 2005 that I took a classroom teaching job, which is very different because then you got to give grades. <laughs> I never had to do that. Right. But um, uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's what a, a teaching artist is. And so for many years, I mean, I, I, I think, I guess I was a teacher and I had lost the artist part, but I'm still, because of my background, I mean, I am a professional in the field. I'm a member of the professional actor, stage actors union. Um, you know, that's 
that's my background. And here in Colombia, I have been able to direct some plays at some theaters. Uh, and fortunately, we have one theater in town that will hire a, a union contract, but most theaters don't. They're straight up community theaters who, and a community theater can hire a, a professional union actor too, but it takes a lot of money because, you, you know, a community theater, they're usually not paying actors. So, so I don't get to practice my art as much here in Columbia, South Carolina. It, it, there could be other cities if I lived there that I would be able to. How fortunate our students are to have access to a teaching artist with experience like Eileen's. I asked Eileen from the richness of her experience about reflection and how she brings this perspective into the classroom with people just discovering the play of theater. Twofold, I think. Um, one, you know, just thinking about our experiential day with acting, right? I, uh, we, well, first of all, we do the judgment box exercise, you know, starts with pantomime. I'm like, imagine you have a box. They know that the three tools of the actor, are the body, the voice, and the imagination. We're going to work on our imagination. Imagine a box, open it up. What color, How, what kind of latch? What does it look like inside? What size? Okay. Now put all your judgments in there, right? Anything you brought into this classroom, what happened before, what's going to happen later, throw it in there. Now you shake it up, yell at it. I don't need you today. Find a door, throw it out, you know, and they kind of laugh. But really, because I said, you know, what, you, what we're about to do, you've never done before. And it's going to seem, and it's going to be weird. Well, that's a judgment. It's different. It's new. I'm going to explain why we're doing all these things. They're giggling through all the vocal exercises. But I also say, have paper and pencil out. So we, I take them through an experience. Now go down, now go back and write your thoughts. What was that like for you? What did it feel like? How did, you know, what was going through your mind? And then once we go through a certain section, then we then we share. Okay, what was it like? Oh, that was this. Or that, 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 you know, they're reflecting on the the immediate experience and trying to avoid the judgment, right? The weird stuff. As far as the curriculum in the class goes, each week they're taking parts of theater, whether it's about the word tragedy or the use of uh, a script and how that's like a blueprint or whatever, and maybe applying it to, you know, watch the first 10 minutes of a comedy and the first 10 minutes of a crime drama. How are they set up differently? What do you see in the structure? Applying it, you know, the thing about design, what is your, what does your bedroom say about you? So there's reflection built in throughout the semester, because when they get to the end again, at that final exam project they are to take all that it's a capstone project right everything you've learned about all of that and apply it to you are producing a brand new production of oedipus rex set in a different time period it cannot be classical it cannot be ancient don't give me game of thrones can't be that something original right and what are you trying to say to an audience of today we know they were trying to say you know i joke i say like don't kill your father and marry your mother because you'll end up plucking your eyes out. You know, it's like it's a little bit more. It's a little bit more than that. But you know, uh, don't defy the gods. Uh, too big to fail. Pride will get you in the end. All these things, and they can find a different time period. What kind of stage are you going to set it on? Why? Why are you telling this story in this configuration? What will your scenery look like? What do the actors look like? What are they wearing when? What is the sound we're hearing as you're telling the story? What does the lighting look like? And then they have to pitch it to us in a presentation like Shark Tank. 
kind of thing, right? And I and I I bring a little piece of paper that says Broadway Billionaires Producing Organization, and they vote who gets who has the best. Where are we putting our billion dollars in for a Broadway production of Oedipus Rex? So they're using it and thinking about it. I love it. Um, yes, and there's uh, I see you in so many making so many playful and fun gestures of saying we're pr- pr- Shark Tank. We have a metaphor here, and I've got a little sign that. We're playing and also it's serious. We're trying and also it's graded. I have a bajillion assignments, right? I always say it's hard to fail my class, though people do. And that's by not doing anything. But if you come in, if you come to class and you do the assignments each week, you could easily end up with more than 100%, (laughs) you know, but you know, it's hard. It's hard in a, in a community college where some students have so much going on, life and jobs. You know, isn't it odd that sometimes it's hard to play? Why yeah. is it hard to find play the time? Sometimes? You have to make time. You have to carve out that time. You know, and that that's interesting, too, because, you know, we start the semester with a a goals essay and we show them a video about grit and, and read some articles about time management and all this stuff. And students think I just need to study hard. I don't even know what that means really. What does that mean? Cause you have to schedule, you really do have to think about it. So this is when I'm doing this and this is when I'm doing this. When are you relaxing? When are you rejuvenating your brain? You need to sleep to let, what is it, the amyloids in your brain, whatever, wash over your brain. You need to play, you need to breathe and be out in nature and all these things because I keep telling them the creativity is coming from the world around you. So you can't be just pushing through to the next task. You have to take some time and be there. That makes me think about during the pandemic when no one could go to plays. There yeah. were no plays. And if there were, it was not a good idea to go to them. So you got the students to watch plays online. Right. And I'm wondering, um, what did how, that, surely that did them some good to be oh, able to be safe what, at home and watch these great was, things. Tell me a bit about it. It was incredible. I mean, it was, a, it was really an incredible thing. Like, you know, when it first started and we were like, oh, and there were a lot of professional theaters suddenly that had some archival footage that they were five bucks, you know? So I think in spring of 2020, we were doing that. Like here, just watch this, watch something. Um, Cause you try to stay away from the illegally shot YouTube stuff, you know, uh, strange angles and things like that. Um, and then people started creating streaming content. And then, I mean, there's Broadway HD and Digital Theater Plus, which all MTC students, faculty and staff have access to now through our library which is amazing because those things are filmed. They're, they're filmed before a live audience and it's for that purpose. And so it, it, it's amazing. So it helps our students in many ways. First of all, um, it's free. So if you're going to see a show around town, there's no free options, really. I mean, I, when I hear about, a, oh, it's a dress rehearsal or, or $5, pay what you can, I tell my students, but that doesn't mean it fits with their schedule, which is a problem. Um, but the other thing about something like Digital Theater Plus is that it's professional. So it's good. It's going to be good theater as opposed to, again, YouTube. You don't know what you're getting, you know. So it's it's. I don't think we're going backwards as much as we try to say, you know, I try to push. 
see a play, see a play, see a play live. And they want to, not everybody can afford it. And I have no money to give them to do it. And, uh, and some of these people, these students, they work all the time. They have such limited time. They're working third shift, second shift, whatever, uh, family, you know. So, you know, theater is done, you know, what, uh, Wednesday through Saturday or Sunday, you know, <laughs> and sometimes there's a matinee, but not always. And so it's pretty prescribed times and, and cost. So it's really helped us a lot. So I, 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 I envision that did, you know, watching digital theater is here to stay. What a boon it is for our students to have such an experienced teaching artist like Eileen here at the college. She said so beautifully that theater is a doorway to understanding. And that's how we've seen the state of mind that play can bring to students. By being allowed to play, doors of understanding through experience open up to them. Eileen calls theater a sandbox, another metaphor for play. Who's in the sandbox, she asks, when a person is collaborating to put on a play? Art has elements of play, but art is also as serious as the most serious parts of our lives. Eileen reminds us that a lot of work is collaborative and being able to play together is an important skill for learning and living. And for her students, this happens in a brave space. Encouraging bravery to try, to attempt, to play is the work of teaching someone to learn to learn. The professor is the one who creates a space in which bravery is possible. An approach that has borne a lot of fruit in my career is to set things that seem distant together, alongside each other, and see what happens. I'm not sure I would have thought to set theater and mechatronics alongside each other had I not come to know Stan and Eileen, but here we are. Their careers have been incredibly different. Stan found his way to Bosch and learned on the job and stayed with the company for 30 years. Eileen discovered her art and has lived all over the country acting and teaching theater in many spaces to many age groups in many institutions. But when we set their conversations alongside each other, there are some striking resonances. Both are professors who set up structure for students and then invite them in with joy and energy into leaping into the practice, into playing their way into the best possible outcomes. And if you need more plays in your life, as MTC faculty or staff, you have access to the Digital Theater Plus resource through our library that Eileen mentioned. I'm putting a link on the episode webpage, so whenever you want to stream a really high-quality play, log in and search and see what strikes you. A good perk of being part of our community. Go to the episode webpage for this link and for activities to bring play into your classroom space. You can also watch a short video on mechatronics if you're curious about this vital field of study and work. Next time, we'll have a first here on the podcast, a conversation between three parts of the college about failure. Failure is an inevitable part of learning, but I'm not sure many students understand this. And failure is something higher education doesn't really like to talk about. I think we should talk about it. So I invited a professor, TJ Kimmel in political science, and an advisor, William Galston in the School of STEM, onto the show so that the three of us could have the kind of conversation we'd all like to have more of. 
the professoriate, advising, and the Center for Teaching Excellence will be in conversation about this almost taboo topic. Join us next time, further into the last month of spring and deeper into the web of our community.